Sanctification is the process of the Spirit of God working through the Word of God to make us ever more like the Son of God. While Holy Spirit is in control of our sanctification, we have to cooperate with Him if we are to make progress in sanctification. So as we study God's Word or as God's Word is preached to us, the Holy Spirit reveals things to us He wants to add to our lives or things He wants to remove from our lives. At that point, we'll make a decision of faith about whether we want to obey what Holy Spirit has revealed to us or not. When we respond in faith and obey, uh, we make progress in sanctification. We become more like Jesus. And when we resist what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us, uh, we do not progress in faith in our sanctification. We stay like we are. And in fact, I would say we begin to sort of backslide at that point and move further and further away from Jesus. Now, there are two sides to sanctification. There is separation and consecration. Separation is where we remove things from our lives. Consecration is where we add things to our lives. In separation, we remove sin from our lives. And in consecration, we add greater levels of devotion to Christ in our lives. In consecration, ultimately what we're doing is devoting ourselves to Jesus so completely that we are determined to do His will no matter what His will may be or what it may cost us personally. In consecration, we prioritize Jesus' will over our will so that every aspect of our lives is lived for Jesus. When we have consecrated ourselves to Jesus, we have essentially abandoned ourselves to do the will of God. The idea of consecration is seen all throughout God's word in the Old and in the New Testaments. One of the earliest references to consecration is seen in the book of Joshua. Uh, Joshua told the people after God had told him to consecrate themselves for tomorrow the Lord would do miracles among them. I like this particular passage uh, because of what's about to happen. They're about to move into the promised land and they're about to see God do all sorts of amazing things to give them the promised land. Right. If you've read the book of Joshua, you know that when they go in, they're not going to win the battles by their own strength and their own skill and their own military might. Rather, God is going to do some pretty significant things on their behalf so that they can win the day. God is going to part the Jordan River so that they can walk across on dry ground. God is going to cause the walls of Jericho to fall down after they walk around it and yell at it. God is going to make the sun stand still so they can continue to fight when normally they would have to back off because of the dark. God is even going to ring hailstones down on their enemy with the accuracy of a sniper. In the midst of hand-to-hand melee, the, the hailstones will strike the enemy but miss the Israelites completely and much more. But in order to experience God doing all of those things for them so they could take the promised land, they had to consecrate themselves first. And even more interesting than this is they only lost one battle in the entire time they went to conquer the promised land. They lost one battle and it was because somebody basically left their consecration to God. God had said all of the things in, in Jericho would be consecrated to him for destruction. And one man said, I, I'm not going to be devoted to the will of God in this moment. And I want to put my will over God's will. And I'm going to take a Babylonian garment, a wedge of gold and something else, and I will keep it for myself. And in the very next battle, they lost against a much smaller and less impressive foe than the people of Jericho. And when we think about that, I can't help but wonder, what if the reason we don't see more mighty moves of Jesus in our day has nothing to do with the fact Jesus has changed? What if it has everything to do with the level of consecration, 
seen among disciples of Jesus. Now, I'm not even talking about the miracles like parting the rivers or causing hailstones to fall from the sky or the sun stands still type of things. But more ordinary miracles, such as the lost being saved, prodigals being restored, broken hearts being healed, captives being set free, the spiritually dead raised to new life in Christ. What if a lack of uh, of consecration and pervasive worldliness and lukewarmness on the part of disciples of Christ is the great hindrance of our day? Now, I'm not saying it is. I'm just asking, what if? What if the reason the church in America is declining is because the Christians in America are less consecrated to Jesus than they ought to be or they have been in times past? If that was true, what would we be willing to do about it? What would we be willing to do so that we could see the lost and diamond saved? What would we be willing to do so that we could see our prodigals restored? What would we be willing to do so that we could see those we know who have broken hearts to have those broken hearts bound up by Jesus? What would we do if a lack of consecration really was the hindrance? Now, consecration isn't just an Old Testament concept. It is seen in the New Testament as well. Hopefully you've already turned in your Bibles to Romans 12. It's page 866 if you haven't. And here's what it says. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, chances are we are familiar with this passage. It's not new to most of us who have been in church for any amount of time at all. We are called on here to to offer ourselves to Jesus as a living sacrifice, to abandon ourselves to do the will of God. Of Jesus. Now you can see clearly the word consecration is not there, but the idea surely is. Offering ourselves as a living sacrifice is the same thing as consecrating ourselves to Jesus. Consecrating ourselves to Jesus so we become living sacrifices who have abandoned themselves through the will of Jesus. That's a big thing. To consecrate ourselves to Jesus and abandon ourselves to do the will of Jesus is is to say no to anything contrary to the will and the want of Jesus in our lives. To consecrate ourselves to Jesus and abandon ourselves to the will of Jesus is to say yes to anything Jesus wants us to do, no matter what this may be. To consecrate ourselves to Jesus and abandon our will to Jesus is to say, is to become a It is not a minor thing. It is something that we cannot kind of sort of do. We have to be all in. Consecration is entire. It requires all of our being, all of our lives, all things. It is a big thing. So why would we willingly choose 
to live in such a way where the will of Jesus was the priority. And we did what he said to do, and we didn't do if he said not to do it, no matter how much we wanted to do it. Why would we subvert our will for his will in every single thing in life? Well, the answer is given to us at the very start of the passage. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. The basis of offering ourselves as living sacrifices who have abandoned themselves to the will of Jesus is based upon the mercies of God. The idea in in Paul's mind as he pens this is that we would be so amazed at the mercy that God has shown us, the mercies, plural, that God has poured out upon our lives that we would willingly and even joyfully consecrate ourselves to Jesus and abandon ourselves to do the will of Jesus in all things. So what are the mercies of God that, that produce this kind of response from us? Well, it is all the things Jesus has done for us and all the things God has given us because of what Jesus has done. The book of Romans has given us a, a great done a great job of summarizing all of the work of Jesus up to this point in our lives. And what I want to do is I just want to quickly highlight some of the mercies of God the book of Romans tells us about. Some of the mercies of God that when we understand them and we see them and we know those are ours because of Jesus, we would say, well, of course, I will consecrate myself to Jesus. And of course, I will abandon myself to do the will of Jesus. Now, this is the list. You have it on the paper. But Jesus willingly died for our sins. And this is the most basic element of the Christian faith and the thrust of the gospel message. I'm often afraid, though, that we have become so familiar with this message, we forget how great it truly is. And if that's the case, we need to do whatever it takes to remind ourselves what it means that Jesus willingly died for our sins. That Jesus left the glories of heaven, came to earth, did good, was forsaken, was abandoned, was beaten, was crucified, and did die just for our sakes. So that we would be as amazed by that truth as we ought to be. And we would then willfully or willingly, even joyfully, consecrate ourselves to Jesus. Be living sacrifices for Jesus and abandon ourselves to do the will of Jesus in all things. Jesus freed us from the, the penalty of sin. Romans 8.1 powerfully declares to us that there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. As disciples of Jesus, we are, we're not on probation. God isn't watching us to see if, if we've got our act together before he decides to give us a full pardon. He's already given us a full pardon because of what Jesus has done. We are fully and finally and forever free from condemnation through faith in Jesus. We are free from the penalty of sin because the righteousness of Jesus was, was given to us the moment we repented of our sins and believed in Jesus. You and I, as disciples of Jesus, we stand before God clothed in the very righteousness of Christ himself. When, when God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see us in light of what we were. And he doesn't even see us in light of our struggles now. He sees us as the righteousness of God through Christ. Perfectly pure and righteous in his eyes. And that's nothing we did. We didn't do it. 
We didn't add to it. We didn't complete it. God did it for us because of what Jesus has done. And knowing the depths of our sin, knowing the penalty for sin, should lead us to be so amazed at the mercies of God toward us that we willingly consecrate ourselves to Jesus to be living sacrifices who abandon themselves to do the will of Jesus. Jesus freed us from slavery to sin. Romans 6 and Romans 8 wonderfully explain to us that we have no obligation to do what our sinful nature desires. But not because of how strong we are. We're not free from our sinful desires because we made a decision. We're not free from our sinful desires because we have knuckled it under, because we have a strong will. We are free from our sinful desires, from being slaves to them, because of what Jesus has done in us and through us and for us. And through Jesus, that while we wrestle with our sinful nature, we are not enslaved by it any longer. We have a new nature. We have been given a new spirit. And in that moment of struggle, we are always able to overcome. We are always able to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. And when we understand that Jesus has freed us from slavery to sin, we should be so amazed at the mercies of God bestowed upon us that we willingly and joyfully consecrate ourselves to Jesus to be living sacrifices who are abandoned to do His will in all things. Jesus has freed us from slavery to the law. In Romans 7, Paul explains that we have been freed from slavery to the law. Part of what this means for us is we don't have to try to be good enough because our good enough is based upon Jesus and not upon us. Our salvation is never based upon how good we are. It is always based upon how good Jesus is. We are free from performance based religion. We are free from a performance based salvation. We are even free from a performance-based approval from God because Jesus has freed us from the law. And we are now free in Christ to live for Him. And when we understand that we're freed from this sort of a performance-based legalistic religion, we should be so overwhelmed at the mercies of God shown to us that we willingly consecrate ourselves to be living sacrifices who abandon themselves to do the will of Jesus in all things. God has adopted us as His children. We're also told in Romans 8 that we have been adopted as children of God. And this came about through our faith in Jesus. Through this adoption, we were given the Holy Spirit, enabling us to have a father-child relationship with God. We're freed from a spirit of fear to enslave us. And we are given a spirit of adoption that enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit that lives within us can now come within us and bear witness with our spirit that we are children of Almighty God so we can have assurance of our salvation. We don't have to walk around wondering, fearful, am I saved? Is God really my Father? Have I been born again? We can know the spirit within us bears witness with our spirit and we can say, yes, I know I've been born again. And when we understand that we've been adopted as children of God through faith in Jesus, can't help but be amazed at the mercies of God 
So we willingly consecrate ourselves to Jesus to live as to be living sacrifices. Who abandon themselves to do the will of Jesus. God has given us an inheritance with Jesus. Part of being an adopted child of God is being a joint heir with Christ. Disciples of Jesus have a pure and perfect inheritance reserved in heaven just for us. It does not fade. It cannot be taken away by humans or any circumstance of life. When we understand the inheritance we have, we cannot help but be amazed at the mercies of God poured out upon our lives. And and then respond by consecrating ourselves to Jesus. To become a living sacrifice who abandons themselves to do the will of Jesus in every area of our lives. We, We have an incomparable hope. God has given us an incomparable hope. Romans 8, we're told the suffering of this life cannot be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. The hope we have is so great, none of the trials of this life can accurately be compared to it. It is greater than anything this world can comprehend. And when we understand the incredibly great hope that we have through Jesus, we realize this is a mercy of God. We, we willingly, joyfully consecrate ourselves to Jesus to be a, a living sacrifice who abandons themselves to do the will of Jesus in all things. God has predestined us to be like Jesus. We may have been sinful and rebellious people before God saved us, but we are something far different now. And whatever we are now it is not what we will become in the future. God has a plan about what he wants our lives to be like, what he wants our character to be like. And it's a plan he has shown us in his word. This plan involves us being changed, transformed, sanctified until we are as much like Jesus as fallen, redeemed, sinful people could possibly be. And and one day we will be fully conformed to the image of Jesus. We, we didn't see him go up, but one day when he returns, we will see him as he is and we will become like him in that moment. This was God's plan from the beginning for you and I as his children. To understand what God has predestined, has pre-planned for us to be like Jesus should cause us to be amazed at the mercies of God so we joyfully, willingly Offer ourselves, consecrate ourselves to Jesus, become a living sacrifice who abandons themselves to do the will of Jesus. God has made us more than conquerors through Jesus. God's word is clear. This life is hard. Never promises us a life free of ease. It never promises promises us if we have faith, life will be okay. God will run interference from all the hardships. Never, ever does God's word tell us these things. Rather, God's word is brutally honest about how difficult and how hard life is going to be. But God's word also tells us that in the midst of all of these troubles, in the midst of all of these trials, we are more than conquerors through Jesus. The circumstances of life, the suffering and the hardship we may face do not change the reality that in Christ we are more than conquerors. And to really believe that. That no matter what's going on, I am more than a conqueror in Christ. Well, the, the only logical response to that is to be so amazed at the mercy of God. Consecrate myself to Jesus, to be a living sacrifice who abandons himself to do the will of Jesus in all things. 
These are some. This isn't a complete list. This isn't even a complete list of all that's in Romans. Some of the mercies of God that that are given to us when we repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I refer to them as mercies. Paul calls them mercies. And this is an important thing for us to understand. These are mercies. And the most basic definition of mercy is not getting what we deserve. And here's where this gets challenging to accept this as mercy. None of us deserve any of these good things from God's hand. Nothing we have ever done has earned the smallest of these gifts from our Father. These are mercies that God has given us in His goodness and in His mercy. He has chosen to give them to us freely because of Jesus. You know, the unfortunate fact is many times we develop an entitlement mentality. I mean, we, we are an entitlement culture. If you think about it. And, and I was thinking about this today. Often we, we talk about the younger generation being entitled. The millennials and the Gen, Gen Z, I guess is what they are. How entitled they are. But, but let's just be brutally honest in here. It's just us. Boomers are just as entitled as millennials and Gen Z. Busters are just as entitled as millennials and Gen Z. Gen X is just as entitled as millennials and Gen Z. The reality is all of us are entitled in one way or another. We can, any of us can easily have an entitlement mindset for one reason or another. We, we all begin to feel we owe, we're owed something. For one reason or another, we're owed something. For this reason, this is why I'm owed this. And that's problematic in culture at large, but it's destructive when we come to God with this sort of a entitlement mentality. And we start to think God, God owes us these things because we're good Christians. God owes us these things because we've been faithful. We've done what he said to do. And the reality check we all need from time to time. Is that we never, ever, 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 ever put God into our debt in any way. God never, ever, 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 ever owes us anything. Anything God does in us and through us and for us is always an act of his gracious mercy toward us. And our willingness To embrace that truth, to accept that truth, will determine our level of devotion and consecration to Jesus. Because if I come to Jesus with a, with an entitlement mentality, I will never fully consecrate myself to Jesus. Rather, I will occasionally do something for Jesus. No matter how small it may be, I will expect Jesus to applaud. And to be happy that I have shown him some favor. I have given him some attention in my life. I will think I have done something small for you, Jesus. You owe me big time, buddy. And that is not consecration. An entitlement mentality will never crucify the flesh. 
to keep from satisfying the flesh. An entitlement mentality will never resist the pull of the flesh to do what Jesus would have us to do. An entitlement mentality will never do what Jesus tells us to do when we don't want to do it. An entitlement mentality will say, I shouldn't have to do that. I shouldn't ever have to do anything I don't want to do. And I should always be able to do anything I want to do. So I I won't self-deny. I won't take up my cross. I won't be fully consecrated. And it's simply an entitlement mentality. But those who accept that everything is, is mercy are amazed that the great God of heaven would do these things for them for any reason at all. And those people, they will joyfully consecrate themselves to Jesus. They will become a living sacrifice who abandons their will to the will of Jesus. What what I want us to do now is take a few minutes to pray where we are. And as you pray, focus on praising God for his mercies as revealed in the areas we've talked about. Thank him for them. Ask Him to give you a deeper understanding of them. And then ask Him to root out and kill any sense of entitlement you may have. Let's spend time praying now. Father, we come today, we're awed by your greatness and your goodness. You're greater than our minds can comprehend, you're greater than our mouths could declare. We exalt you and we exult in you. We just rejoice in who you are. Forgive us, Lord, for the times we have had an entitlement mentality as we have come to you. Work in our hearts and root that out. Lord, kill the entitled child in me. And renew the wonder and the awe at your great mercy toward us. Forgive us, Lord, for undervaluing what you have done. Lord, I think if we truly, deeply grasp the significance of Your great mercies toward us. Father, it would just about blow our minds at how awesome you are and how great you have been to us. Father, give us an ever deepening understanding. Of your mercy. Or these few things that I've mentioned today. Lord, renew our wonder at those things that the fact Jesus has died for us. That is that is almost an unbelievable truth. It's so amazing. 
And yet it's true. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for us. Let us be awed by these truths. Let us be awed by these mercies. And let that awe and wonder, Father, move us to greater levels of consecration. To remove sin from our lives and add devotion, service to Jesus in our lives. Let us be a people who are fully consecrated to Jesus, who live as living sacrifices. And who abandon themselves to the will of Jesus in all things we ask in his name. Amen. So what does it look like then for us to to consecrate ourselves to Jesus? To be living sacrifices who have abandoned themselves to do the will of Jesus in all things. Well, notice that the Apostle Paul in verse 1 says to, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. So when we talk about consecrating ourselves to Jesus, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, it's talking about all aspects of our lives. By talking about our, our, for our bodies, what, what he's trying to communicate to us is that, that everything is included. We don't, we don't consecrate our spiritual things to God and then we have our physical things and, and we just kind of do what we want to do there. No, we're giving everything, all of life, we're giving it over to Jesus. We're surrendering it all to Him. So when we talk about offering our bodies, we're talking about offering our, our minds, our, our thoughts. I mean, you think about that. We're to, we're to give him our very thoughts. God's word tells us what we're to think on. God's word tells us how to think. That our, our thinking is to be renewed and be changed. God's word tells us our thinking is to be different than the unbelieving world who walks in spiritual darkness. So we're surrendering our, our minds to Jesus. And we're saying, teach me how to think. Teach me what to think on. Let me think about the issues of our day the way you think about them and the way you want me to think about them. We're offering our hearts, our affections, who we love, how we love, what it means to love. Now, the world has a lot to say about who we're supposed to love and who we can't love. And the world has a lot to say about how we love those that we love and what it really means to love. But how much of that lines up with what God's word says? And when God's word on love conflicts with the culture's idea of love, who's best? Who's right? Well, the consecrated heart surrenders to Jesus and what the word says about love. We our, our desires. Do you know that everything we can desire isn't necessarily good and right? Our desires say a lot about who's ruling in our hearts. So the consecrated heart wants to desire what Jesus wants them to desire. We're, we're consecrating our hands, offering our hands, which in Scripture often refers to our deeds. What we do. What we don't do. How we do the things that we do. Again, God's word is clear. There are some things we we should do always. And then there are some things we should never do ever. And then even as we do the things we're supposed to do, there's a right way and a wrong way to do them. And, and doing the right things in the right way matters to God. So we're sacrificing to that. We're, we're offering our feet where we go, where we don't go. 
because just because we want to go somewhere doesn't necessarily mean we should go there. And just because we don't want to go somewhere doesn't necessarily mean we're not supposed to go there. Surrendering our goings. We'll go where you want me to go. We'll do what you want us to do. We're sacrificing. We're offering our eyes, our seeing, what we look at, what we don't look at, how we view people in the world around us. Again, God's word has has things to say about all of that stuff, about the kind of things we should look at, the kind of things we shouldn't look at, how we view the world and the people of the world. Our ears, what we listen to, what we don't listen to. How we listen to what we do listen to. God's word calls us to have discernment. To be able to tell right from wrong, good from best. That's listening carefully to things and not just taking everything in and saying, oh, that's fine, I'm sure. There is no aspect of our lives that that is not affected by consecrating ourselves to Jesus. Offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. When we consecrate ourselves to Jesus and offer our bodies a living sacrifice, we surrender our values so that we value what Jesus values. Our priorities so that his priorities become our priorities, our attitudes. That's pretty hard. He has a certain way that we're supposed to handle things and certain attitudes we're supposed to have and certain attitudes we're not supposed to have. And we're surrendering to have his attitudes, even if that's very contrary to us. Pursuing our actions, even our reactions. I mean, God's word is clear that there will be stressors in life. And sometimes those stressors are people. God's word even tells us how we're to respond to the stressful, difficult people in our lives. But that's not how the world says to respond to those things. So who's first? Who's who's most important? What the world says or what God's word has said? Well, the, the consecrated person Responds the way Jesus says to respond. Our morality. Clearly the morality of the world. The morality of God's word. Are are diametrically opposed in many cases. Which one's right? To the sanctified person. The consecrated person. God's word is right. Our preferences. We all have preferences. But how important those are. The world says our preferences are one thing. God's word says our preferences are something else. What's right? Well, to the consecrated person, God's word is. Our our money. Our time. Our hopes. Our dreams. Our plans. Consecration is surrendering all of those things to Jesus. Giving them fully and completely to him to let him do with them as he wishes. And if what he wants from those things is so different than what we want. The consecrated person says I'll do what Jesus wants. Because his will is more important than my will. It's part of what it means to consecrate ourselves to Jesus. To be a living sacrifice. And to abandon ourselves to do the will of Jesus. And here's where it gets really hard, I think. Notice Paul's wording. I therefore urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. 
consecrating ourselves to Jesus isn't automatic. Just because you've repented of your sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ does not mean you have consecrated yourself to Jesus. Consecration is something that isn't automatic and it's something we ourselves have to do. We choose to consecrate ourselves to Jesus. None of us will ever be consecrated to Jesus, to be living sacrifices who are abandoned to the will of Jesus until we choose to be. I've had people ask me before, would you pray for my devotion to Jesus that it would be greater? And I do. I I always pray that if people ask. But do you know the deciding factor about the level of devotion someone has to Jesus The deciding factor is not my prayers or whether I pray them or whether I don't pray them or how big I pray them. The deciding factor is the person's will. This is here's a really a hard thing. Right now, you and I are as close to Jesus as we want to be. We are as consecrated to Jesus as we want to be. If there is greater levels of consecration to Jesus that's needed in our lives, the reason for that is because we have not crossed over. We have not presented our bodies. It's not that Jesus isn't saying, come to me and consecrate yourself to me. It's not that he's not saying, lay it all on the altar and and trust me to do what's best. He's saying all of that to all of us all the time. The problem is we're holding on to it. We're refusing to crawl upon the altar and to be that consecrated living sacrifice. You and you alone determine your level of consecration and devotion to Jesus. Me and me alone. I determine my level of consecration and devotion to Jesus. Consecrating ourselves to Jesus to be living sacrifices who have abandoned themselves to do the will of Jesus is a definite act that we must make at a specific moment in time. Where we say, Jesus, I offer myself as a living sacrifice. I offer my mind. I offer my eyes, my ears, my hands, my heart, my feet, my All my values, my priorities, I give you everything. I surrender it to you. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in prayer. And I am going to ask at this point to come to the altar if you can, because to be a living sacrifice, there's something about laying it on the altar, as the the old time the old time preachers would say. So as we come. Make a point to pray specifically and surrender your body as a living sacrifice. Be as explicit and as specific as you can as you consecrate yourself to Jesus to be a living sacrifice who has abandoned yourself to do the the will of Jesus. So ask all that would to come. Again, you can pray where you are, but take this time and, and in a specific moment, consecrate yourself to Christ.
One last thing before we close. Paul said we're to be a, a living sacrifice. The major difference between a living sacrifice and a dead one is the living one can get off the altar. This is especially true if the sacrifice has placed themselves on the altar as we do. And what this means is that for us there is a definite moment in time in which we must consecrate ourselves to Jesus. But it's not one and done. It's something we have to do over and over again. Jesus said that if anyone would come after him, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, follow him. Consecrating ourselves to Jesus to be living sacrifices of abandoning themselves to the will of Jesus is a definite act that we must renew over and over again. So my prayer for us is that we would do just that. We would live our lives as continually consecrated living sacrifice to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You're great and glorious. Father, help us to keep our consecration to you. Help us to make this decision and make ourselves make this offering over and over in our lives and in our days. Father, if we blow it, let us come back to you. You are the merciful God. All of this is based upon your mercy. We do this not to receive your approval. We do it because we have received it in Christ. We do it not to be forgiven but because we're forgiven through Christ. So, Father, let us understand if we blow it, we go out of here tonight and we just lose our minds at somewhere and go off. Let us know that there is a great and an awesome God who promises to forgive our sins if we'll confess it. The enemy would love to take a, a desire to be consecrated to Jesus and use it against us to make it feel like a legalistic burden. When we blow it to make it think we're too sorry of Christians, we could never really be like we're supposed to be. Shut his voice up in our lives. Let the voice of Jesus be greater than the voice of the enemy and the accusations of the enemy. Let us at all times be hearing Jesus call us to come to him. To find rest for our souls. To take his yoke. And learn from him. Have your way we ask in Jesus name. Amen.